You know, Tahir, I'm, I'm always the one coming up with a podcast intro. I mean, do you have an idea this time? That works. Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening to another episode of No... Oh, damn it. I never mess up the <laughs> intro ever. You're making me nervous, Nigel. I literally never met. Well, actually, I did mess up with Stephen the other day, but all right, I'm going to rerun it. <laughs> hey, you've got to you've got to keep that in now as the... Um, yeah. You got to keep all these bits because they're the they're the best bits. Oh, um, dude, so true. This is probably gonna. Maurice always decides what he's gonna leave in here. He's probably gonna leave this in. Make sure you leave it in because <laughs> I'm gonna do the same in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm gonna try again. <clears throat> Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening to another episode of the No Fluff MSP Marketing Podcast. Today, I am super excited uh, to have now a friend, Nigel Moore, on. Nigel, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, anybody that's listened to the podcast, you know, all 12 of you, that's, <laughs> it's, everybody knows how big of a fan I am of the tech tribe. I think I, I talk about maybe every third episode. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of cool, you know, that we have the founder of tech tribe, you know, the guy who's had his own MSP started the tech tribe. Like, I feel like most, like any MSP that knows who Nigel is really looks up to him. I feel like it's like the community he's built and the amount of value us in the community get. So all that to say, it's cool to finally actually have you on the podcast. Like I'm, I'm super excited about it. Well, you're going to have 13 listeners now because if I'm on here, my mom's going to download the episode <laughs> and listen to it. So I'm I'm helping with your, your listen account. Uh, right, but thank you for having it. me on. Um, I'm bloody excited to dive in and chat about the stuff I don't stop chatting about MSP. Yes. I know. I always wonder, like, gosh, he's got it. He's got to get like fatigue every now <laughs> and then. On like, oh, another MSP topic. Here we go. I, I get fatigued when I'm not talking about MSP oh, stuff. Oh, good. I'm like Perfect. itchy. Like, get me back talking about something <laughs> MSP world. Like, I, I can talk the bones off anybody about this stuff. Love it. And so today, it's a question I've been getting from members, and 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 just you know, I've I've seen other people asking, talking about it, which is you know, how do we package? How do we price? How do we, of course, profit? And uh, and with those questions, I think, hey, you know what? There's somebody that wrote a book called Package Price Profit. Uh, why don't I have him on the show? And that happens to be you. So that's you rehearsed that part, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't. But I'm glad it worked out. I would have had another blooper since we already have one. But uh, so I figured let's bring Nigel on, and he was super gracious to agree, which I'm just super excited about. Um, so we'll kind of just jump right in, and I'll start asking some questions. Uh, they're some loaded questions. So, you know, it's okay if you can't answer all of them in, you know, full, but we'll kind of, we'll kind of jump in. Okay. First one for a brand new MSP looking to build their stack for the first time, where would they even start? Oh, yeah. Deep question. <laughs> it's probably the hardest one at me. Um, one of the things I will say is don't start by going and copying an established MSP's offering because it's the, the the surefire way to 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 ruin. And the reason I say that is I see too many MSPs they or too many people that are starting up an MSP 
and they, they go and look out at the marketplace and they see all these other MSPs doing all of these things and they go, holy crap, I want to go and do all of that. That looks awesome. I'm then going to sit down and try and build that out as my stack. And then they sit down and they start building that stack out and then they keep building that stack out and they keep building that stack and they keep going, oh, we've got to tweak this and we've got to fine tune this. And I've got to get these three things perfect. Six months goes by and they've got one client on their books and then nine months goes by and they've got three clients on their books. And um and they they get to the point where they the business isn't sustainable and they end up having to go back to their job. And so yeah. my very first point of call is do not copy existing MSPs that are out there with teams of people that have been in the industry for for years that have matured to a certain point. Yeah. When when you're in the MSP game and when you're in any business, there is there is layers of maturity that we go through in a business. And in the scrappy startup phase, you've got to be a little bit scrappy. You've got to be a little bit rough around the edges, and mm-hmm. um and you can't go out and try Try and build this awesome stack on day one because by building that awesome stack, you're, you're probably going to set your, your business at a disadvantage and not be able to go and build a, an actual business behind the, the scenes. Yeah. And so for me, it's it's go out and do the bare minimum that you've got to be able to to do to secure your clients and to to get out there and get stuff done. Um, be okay with your pricing not being perfect. Be okay with perhaps losing some money on some clients just to start with, so that mm-hmm. you're starting to learn some lessons. One of yeah. the things that that I, one of the mistakes I made many times was trying to come up with the absolute perfect pricing of my my plans, like exactly how to tailor the margins and everything in there. Um, in my very early stages, when I shouldn't have been focusing that, I should have been focusing on just getting some revenue in the door enough to yeah. sustain us, not caring whether that margin is 50% or 65%, just yeah. caring about getting the revenue in the door and starting to learn the lessons. Because what you really want to do in those early stages is just learn as many lessons as you can as fast as you can by getting out there and just doing stuff. And the way to do stuff is to get out and and speak to clients and prospects and just get them in the door, yeah. um, deliver them as best a service as you possibly can, which is often um, in the when you're in the early stages of an MSP, you're, you're very client heavy client friendly client and you you're overloading on on value because you you you're really trying to make sure that you you're giving an awesome service yeah. to your clients and so um focusing on that and just if, don't don't try and automate everything don't try and um put all of this stuff in that's going to make your 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 days easy in the early stages just get out there and do the work and get in yeah. and figure out what things you've got to you're going to learn from your mistakes as you go out and make them in the early stages. So I wouldn't, I would say get out there with a, a minimum stack um, that still, like obviously we're in a day and age of cybersecurity, right? So you've mm. got to make sure you've got some cybersecurity covered yeah. in there and you should be aligning with some sort of framework out there, whether it's NIST or SIS controls or whatever it is, you should be aligning at least to a baseline in one of those. And yeah. even those frameworks have operational maturity levels in them and, in the SIS framework, you've got your your maturity layer one, which it, even if you're just aligning your cybersecurity stack, which is that to start off with, it's mm. not that hard. It's it's yeah. it's not a, a wildly layer three level of security. Um, layer sorry, layer of maturity in there, but it's enough for a lot of small businesses out there, yeah. especially if you're going to go into a marketplace where there's some a bunch of backyard trunk slammers that um that don't really care about cybersecurity and they're still caring about just everything's got to be on-prem and antivirus and backup is your security. Like mm-hmm. if you're competing against them and you're moving them across to, to you with a, a fairly decent basic cybersecurity stack, yep. they're still getting better than what they're yep. currently on. You don't have to be perfect to the level of an MSP that's 
15 years of maturity and has got a dedicated cybersecurity team and has been able to understand their margins for 15 years and whatever, you've yep. just got to get to a layer better than than the people that you're going and 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 taking clients from essentially out there and delivering a, a better service and a, a better security level than what they're doing and yep. just be one or two steps in front of them and, and start off there and then mature your way into where you've got to go and start figuring out where the, the bigger, better MSPs are and start moving towards them. But don't move there too quickly because you'll you'll fall over and you you won't have enough clients coming in to, to start your business and get it sustainable. That's so spot on. Like everyone listening, just I, I hope everyone's soaking that in because it's so true. It's like revenue first, like mm. get clients in the door. Like you got to make money. So have a stack that obviously, you know, your firewall, antivirus, maybe even potentially an MDR, as long as it's outsourced where you're not doing a sock or trying to build a sock or whatever, <laughs> like so some much. simple layers to get going. And something I loved, and this is, every, listeners are probably going to cringe when I say this, but like, well, not what, not what I'm about to say about what you said, but what I'm going to say after that, which is in your book, you said, look, term contracts. People love saying, oh, day one, as soon as you start your MSP, you're under so much liability, blah, blah, blah. You have to have a term contract. It's like, we didn't have term contracts until like two years ago. Right. Right. That sounds crazy. Right. We didn't have term contracts till we were like over three mil in revenue, which again, it sounds crazy, but at the same time, it's like, I was getting revenue in the door. My priority is marketing, selling, getting revenue in the door. Like I don't want to have to worry about like the term contract thing. Now we do because we're more comfortable and stuff. Like you said, the maturity of it, like, yeah, we're, mm. you're going to get to term contracts. You're going to get to this really impressive cybersecurity 100%. and help us stack and having a cybersecurity specialist and all the things you want as an MSP. But right now, get that stuff in the door, start growing, right? Like so important. Yeah. Term yeah. term contracts are one of those things that um, they've got pros and cons as everything in, in your, your stack is going to have pros and cons. And one of the, the big cons that I see in term contracts and trying to do them too early is that you're not at a level of sales maturity to be able to go and offer term contracts. And yep. so what often happens is... um. Sorry, my alarm going off. Um, no worries. But what often happens is some new MSP startup will go, oh, like everyone's telling me I've got to do term contracts or I'm mad. And so they'll go out and they'll try and sell term contracts at the point where they're not very good at sales. And they'll lose a bunch of deals that they would have got those deals if they weren't trying to sell term contracts. Yeah. And because they're in that early stage of an MSP, as I talked about before, they're over-delivering typically. Yeah. You're not going to lose your clients anyway. Like the, yes, the lifetime exactly. value of an MSP client, especially when you're over, over-servicing them, is yeah. long. Yeah. And what often happens is like term contracts have value when you, especially when you're going through an acquisition, right? If you're about to be acquired, a lot of acquirers will look at you and say, are your contracts termed? One of the big reasons is because they know that when they take you on and they they buy you and you then disappear out of the relationship or part mm -hmm. of your, some of your team disappears through the, the process, which inevitably happens in a lot of M&A deals, mm -hmm. is that then they don't have any relationship to rely on. So they've got to rely on contract, contract in there. Yeah. Right? And so that's, that's at the M&A level, which is typically not what you're going to be thinking about on day one when you're getting yeah. your MSP up and running. Um, so, so as you say, rightly so, like term contracts, you've got to grow into, you've got to get yeah. to the point. If, you, if you've got some sales maturity, if you've been in a sales role for a few years and you, you're really good at handling objections and you're really good at positioning things and whatever, by all means, you might be able to go and do term contracts on day one and it's not going to affect your conversion numbers mm -hmm. in there. But if it is, don't let it affect your conversion numbers yet until you're like, just don't offer them yet, knowing yeah. that you're going to retain your clients and then you can yeah. always add term contracts down the track. It's not hard to add them down the track. Yeah. Uh, don't get caught up in the whole, I have to do them from day one. If you're not there yet, don't feel yeah. like 
you will know when you're comfortable enough to do term contracts. You'll then go, ah, oh, I feel comfortable now. I've closed enough clients' deals. I've, I've, I know exactly how to lead them through the journey of the sales yeah. process and the discovery. I'm now comfortable throwing term contracts in the mix, knowing that it's not going to affect my my numbers. And yeah. the other thing that happens with term contracts, um, which a lot of people don't realize, is the further you move up in in size for your clients. So when you're starting out, say you you most of your prospects are coming in, might only be five to 20 staff or whatever it happens to be like in the small end of the world once you start moving up into the mid-tier clients like in the mid-tier space um the m of the smb uh there's a, a bunch of of clients that actually from their end they require term contracts whether it's a board mandate or whatever it happens to be but they require it and so that's another reason you'll end up being forced to do term contracts as yeah. you start to grow up into to larger client bases in there uh, because the clients want it on their side and that's even easier then because you don't even have to pitch why a term yeah. contract makes sense because they're they're the one forcing it on you as part of their requirements in it our our largest client required a three-year i'm like there you go. Oh, gotta, yeah. you know, gotta hold, gotta say you know, no. You, oh no! As long as you bake in your 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 automatic increases and you you got yeah. tight scope on them, then by yeah, all means, oh yeah, oh, yeah. Get on them. for sure. That was great. This is a really good start. So for Are we a, finished now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Your alarm goes off. Like stop yeah, but, talking to Tahir. Start me ranting. You gotta you gotta chime in and 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 stop me sometimes. Otherwise, no, I'll go was, if it's a good, I'm gonna let it ride. Like you've got good <laughs> points. I need to let them ride. You I'm know. like one of those wind up. Things where you you wind the like one of those wind up cars that the kids have got. Um, you wind them up and you let them go, and holy crap, just away yeah, it goes. Go 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 go. Um, yeah. Sometimes you got to grab it off the ground before it runs into something and breaks something. Yeah, and since it's this is a podcast, I'll start waving at you if you're going too long. <laughs> like, hey, oh. So, all right. So now flipping the script a little bit for a mature MSP, what process should they go through for refining their stack and price? Good question. Some people think like their price is their price. Some people think their stacks are stat. You know, like what is the, you know, any tips or tricks on going yeah. through those? Um, thought, there's thought a bunch. Stuff. Um, first thing I'll just do a preface to say that we're we're talking about we're talking about maturity a little bit on this podcast. And um, for anybody, any MSP that's out there that hasn't heard of Paul Dipple and um and his operational maturity levels, uh, then go and search for them. Search Paul Dipple, D, I think it's D-I-P-P-E-L-L. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got this thing called OML, operational maturity levels. And he's defined all the different stages of an MSP, all the way from startup, all the way to wildly mature MSP through a series of what he calls his operational maturity levels. And at each level, you can see through a set of parameters and definitions of where you might fit on that thing. And so when we're talking about maturity, and when I'm talking about maturity, I'm typically talking about going through like Paul Dipple's operational maturity levels in there. Hmm. And um, and cool. so if, you, if you're an MSP listening and you haven't been um, or you haven't found them yet or spotted them, search online. I think there's a bunch of good articles that explain how it all works. And Paul Dipple's stuff is great. He's kind of semi-retiring from the industry now, but here was the stuff I learned from kind of 15 years ago when I was right. understanding this game. Uh, but when you're when you're at the mature or maturing up and going through, maybe you're at OML3, as I think um, Paul calls them, or one of those levels, and you're starting to go, okay, it's time to start refining my cybersecurity side of things or my pricing side of things. Let's let's tackle the pricing side first. Now, um, one of the things that that far too many MSPs don't do is understand the gross margins of their agreements. And that's one of the first things you need to be doing as you're trying to understand your pricing. And by if you you if you're at the OML three or whatever, you, you're typically going to understand your the, you're going to know that gross margins are very important in your, your your things. And a gross margin in an agreement is typically 
um, how much money you're making when you take away all the hard costs of that agreement, all the labor that you've inputted from your help desk team and your cyber team and whatever, as well as any of the hard costs of tool sets and everything. And then when you take all of that away, um, say there's $2,000 per month the client's giving you, but each month is costing you about $800 in labor costs and, and tool sets to deliver that, then you've got about $1,200 of gross margin in that particular client. Mm. And now one of the things that um, like there's, you're never going to get every single one of your clients on the exact same gross margin, right? Like it's not possible. Um, you, you can standardize to the nth degree and try and get everybody on the exact same um, stack everywhere, but you're still going to have different margins and that's okay. But what you should be doing at, at most stages of an MSP, even the earliest, like I would say that even in a startup MSP, you should be doing it at a rudimentary level is every month getting your bookkeeper or whoever's doing your accounts to give you a basic gross margin report to see what your clients are doing. And so for us in my MSP, we used to do that. Like our, our PSA tool used to be able to do it okay-ish, but I it was always a snapshot at just that point in time. And for me, I want to know the trends of my gross margins. I don't want to know just what it was this month or last month. I want to know what the trends are doing for a particular client and overall. And so I had someone on my team every single month go and gather all that data out of our PSA system and go and input it into an Excel spreadsheet. And, and then we could track all of our months every single month. So we could look at client B and we could say, okay, client B is currently at 58% gross margin and 53% last month, 48%, whatever it is. And, and we can see whether there's trends going up and down. Hmm. And we had in our management meeting every single month, we had an agenda item in there for where we actually analyzed that. And we went, okay, we got some things that are, are, wildly unprofitable in here. And we're seeing some trends of maybe groups of clients like that are all on our goal plan or whatever going down, or do we mm. see um, trends of just a particular client going up or down or whatever? And if so, what's the root cause? We always had to try and figure out what's the root cause here. Is it that we're we're giving away too much stuff out of scope that we shouldn't be? Is it that our scope is too loose? Is it that our engineers aren't trained on when to say no to things? Like, what is the root cause of why this, this agreement is, is becoming unprofitable? Mm. Is it because we're just Unpro like badly priced the agreement. And that was typically the case. It was that I'd badly priced the agreement mm -hmm. in there. And um, and so one of the things as you get into that level is to always be continually having space in your management, um, whether it's part of your executive um, team meetings or whatever, once a month to analyze your gross margins across all your clients and make yeah. decisions based on that. Um, often the decisions are going to be that you've got to increase prices and in you've got to renegotiate an agreement. Or um, I remember some clients that I had to go to where I, I took the data with me and I like, um, I wasn't, I didn't show them our gross margins, but I showed them ticket counts and everything yeah. of their particular thing. And and we used to analyze tickets based on what the ticket types were as well. And mm -hmm. I was able to show one particular client that we'd included line of business app support in there because they hated their line of business vendor. It was mm -hmm. required in their industry to use it. And they wanted us to do all the support. So I said, oh, no problems for an extra thousand bucks a month or whatever. We'll do all the level one support for for that. Yep. And um, and Six months later, we're looking at our thing going, oh, like our averages now, like our gross margins on this, are, I don't know what they were, but let's say it was 50%, whatever it was, where it used to be 70% gross margins for that particular client. And I went, ah, oh, crap, like I have obviously over uh, underquoted what I should have quoted for adding line of business support in there um, mm. for their, their particular vendors. And so I was able to go out to the client and I showed them that, hey, here's our graph of all the ticket types that are coming through. And here's the line of business vendor tickets. It's huge. I've underpriced it. Um, I'm going to have to turn it to this um, for because otherwise we're, we're going to go broke on this agreement or this agreement is mm. not profitable for us. And we want to be here 
to support you tomorrow and in the future and be sustainable. Yeah. Um, and the client went, oh, like, I don't care. Just charge me whatever yep. you've got to charge me. You, we love dealing with you guys far yep. more. And so it gave us that data to increase our pricing there. But, oh, sorry. I was just going to finish off with one yeah, other thing. No, sorry, on, sorry. The, on the flip side, um, as we were, one of the, the times we went through there, we've noticed that one of our agreements was doing like 93% every single month and um, or 92, 93%. And we're like, this one's popping up when initially it's like, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Then I went, hang on, that's not awesome because that client then is probably feeling like we're not delivering a great value because we're we're like, um, they're, they're plodding along or whatever, but they're probably at a risk of churn. And when mm. we dived into it, they were at a risk of churn. Um, they, they weren't happy with it because they felt like they were paying too much. And yeah. so we then used that opportunity to throw more stuff into their thing. We, we had like a monthly site visit. They could have done with a weekly site visit. So we increased it to a weekly site visit. They oh, loved wow. us. Our margins went down to, I don't know, probably 70% again, but it was back in that healthy range, yeah. 70, 75%, but it was back healthy again. And that client yeah. was then sustainable again. And so, yeah. so when you're improving your pricing from a thing, it's like working with the data. You've got yeah. to work with the data and, and having an operational maturity level like Paul Dipples that you can start to align to and see where you're going and, and what, what benchmarks the industry is getting out there can help you figure out, hey, am I far off the industry benchmark in the maturity level that I'm in at the moment? Mm. And um, and that can help you then guide your decisions on, am I going to throw some more pricing, like some some increases in here, or am I okay? Or should I add some more product into there to, to give them some more um, product or service and that it gives them more value into it? Yeah, that's that's so spot on. And I think listeners need to be comfortable with raising their prices which I know you in the tech tribe, you have like the mission, raise your prices, which is awesome. And like, we did like basically our first, you know, there's client by clients where we've had to raise prices, mm. but we did our first legacy price increase. I think it was like last you know, year and a half ago or something. We had an 8K MRR like that and nobody left. Nobody even complained. <laughs> and I remember a point in your book, you're like, hey, your client secretly is happy to pay you, you know, 20, 30% more, right? I forget yeah. exactly how you said it, but it's like, don't, I feel like people get real worried about raising prices, but it's like, look, the, the, the one there, they like you. I know there was that, there was that issue with Sally that didn't like QuickBooks thing. And you know, there was blah, blah, blah. <laughs> don't worry about that. Like, don't worry about that. The decision makers are fine with you. You're doing great. Don't worry about the help desk t- t- tickets that became a problem. Um, So, you know, it's just, it's just good to know, like, be comfortable with raising prices and it's it's an important thing. And I was uncomfortable with it for a long time, but we're getting a lot more comfortable with it and it's making us a lot more money. And clients what are the things I'll do it. Yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent. One of the things I'll say there is that I, I made the mistake that all of us make um of not raising prices for long periods of time. And that's the worst mistake you can make because then you've got to typically do a large raise and large raises are the ones that, that get people offhand. Whereas if yep. you're doing a raise every 12 months um, that's based on inflation or whatever it happens to be, clients will grow to expect that. And mm. one of the things that, that I encourage a lot of MSPs to do is to do a six monthly price review um, every single six months, go and just analyze your gross margins, go and make sure that you're making the right profits you're making in there. Um, and if you're even if you don't raise your prices, you go, oh, yeah, everything's okay because we raised them 12 months or six months ago. Still send all your clients the, the, the note saying, Hey, just letting you know, we ran our, our normal bi annual price review. Everything's running along tickling well. So, good news, no, no price increases for now. What that does is it, it trains your clients to know that you still are always reviewing your prices yeah. so that the, it doesn't hurt as much when you go and do it in the future. And if you do it at a 
a regular cadence, then and they're only minor increases, like a couple of percent here and a couple of percent there. Although with inflation at the moment, it's a little bit more than a couple of yeah. percent. Um, but Gosh, um, everybody knows that inflation is there and that pricing is yeah. going up. So it's kind of the the media is doing the work of explaining why these price increases exist for us right now. Yeah. Um, but but yeah. it's uh, up until and I've obviously spoken to thousands of MSPs over the years. Up until um, I think it was about eight months ago. I had never met an MSP that had ever lost a client from a price increase eight months oh, ago. Wow. Um, and and, this, and I'd, I'd asked the conversation many times, like many, many, many times in, in our community. And we've obviously run our pricing member missions that you talk about where we give you all the scripts and everything to go and do it. And we encourage it. And eight months ago, one person said, oh, well, I'm going to put my hand up and be the first. And, wow. and he'd lost a client, but behind the scenes, as we went a bit deeper into it, like as a client that needed to be lost anyway, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it, it shouldn't have been on his books yeah. and he was glad to get rid of them. Um, but on the whole, like I've, that's the only person I've ever seen lose one client. It was a client that, as I said, should have been lost. And so you don't lose clients, especially if you're doing a good job, which, and you, your clients love you and they're, you're looking after them, they trust you. Like pricing is the last thing on their mind. And I know for me, um, the more I mature, like our business matures, the more um, like I I look out for opportunities across our suppliers where I feel like we're underpaying them. And I go proactively to them and say, oh, like we need to pay you more uh, because I want to make sure that you're around for tomorrow and the future to to keep sustaining me. And I don't think you're charging me enough at the moment. I've done that a number of times with with different vendors. You Um, seem like the kind of guy who would. That doesn't surprise me a little bit. (laughs) It's hard, but and it's it took a little bit of like in the in the long run, what I realize is that it ends up becoming cheaper doing that than trying to save the couple of bucks because it means that 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 client um, or that vendor, sorry, is um they've always got us as number one on their like we we're always looked after by that vendor because I'm trying to push them to push their prices up as well. Mm-hmm. But it means that I can sleep better at night just knowing that they're not going to go out of business if I'm I'm continually pushing them to increase their prices. My accountants, yeah. um, I did um, a, a number of times push them to raise their prices. Um, mm-hmm. My last accountant um, yeah. up and there's been a few people that I've, even new vendors where I've said, hey, that's too cheap. I'm We're going to do it at this price instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, oh, crap. <laughs> what? <laughs> but it's to me, it's it's good hygiene for and, and good value that we're providing. Like, for us in our MSP, one of our core values was to be our uh, client's favorite vendor and our vendor's favorite client. And that was super cool. important to us because if we're our vendor's favorite client, then when crap hits the fan, mm-hmm. we're going to be the ones that are looked after the most. And I see too often in the MSP industry and in any industry, but the MSP industry um, has had this this vendor versus MSP kind of vendor bashing thing go on for a while. And it plays yeah. out in the, the Reddit groups and whatever a lot. Definitely does. And, it does so much damage to to the MSP as well. That's doing the bashing in there because when crap hits the fan, the the, the vendor that they've just bashed is the last. Like the, the MSP doesn't like goes to the bottom of the barrel when it yeah. comes time to look after them. And and I want to be when when crap hits the fan. I want to be at the top of the barrel. I want to be the person that's that that they're going. Oh crap! Like crap's going wrong. But these guys have been an awesome client to us for so long. I want I'm gonna look after them first before anybody else. And yeah, that's that's, that's the way I treat things. There is that I, I want yeah. to be our our vendor's favorite client. Granted, yeah. there's probably you can't do it all the time, and sometimes I'm probably the most painful bloody client in the yeah. world. Um, but but I'm also try to be honest about that as well and have frank conversations around around it. But um, but yeah. it's at a philosophical philosophical level, however you say that word, like it's just a good approach to take is just making sure that value's happening both ways in, yeah. in all your relationships. Yeah. 
Love that. Yeah. That's, it's so funny that nobody, you, you said that, with, you know, eight months was the first time somebody that, you know, lost a client. Cause when, even the way I said it, I was like, yeah, we raised a seven K. We didn't lose a client. Like I thought I was special. <laughs> Not so so that's so like refreshing to hear because I'm yeah. an MSB and I didn't realize that. So everybody else listening to this right now, like what Nigel said is just the most encouraging thing ever to make sure we stay more consistent. Cause even after that, we're still not as consistent as we should be. Yeah. We should be doing exactly what you're saying. Every 12 months, either we're doing it or we're saying, Hey, you know what? We analyze your account and we're not doing it. Like okay. still yeah. communicating it. So that's yeah, yeah. huge on price. That one tip you gave on gross margins can pretty much like sum up price, which I love. I'd never really heard that before. You know, I'm not on the finance side much. Like I have to look at the numbers cause you know, right. I'm, I'm in sales, but like, the way you explained right there is is pretty spot on where your pricing needs to be. Like that's that's beautiful. Yep. And then on up. the, oh know, sorry, you got. Well, no, and then you know, was that kind of any other thoughts on the price before we move to like the stack? Because I think I was just going to say like pricing is um too many people try to base their pricing on their competitors and and it's it's sure you need to be marketplace competitive to a degree but nowhere near the level that most people think they need to be. And yeah. and pricing, like a lot of people are like, I've got to be the cheapest or I've got to make sure that I compete because I'm going to lose. If you're, if you're building strong relationship and you're delivering awesome service, you can be the expensive one out there and your clients will be perfectly happy paying it because they're getting what they need. They don't, mm-hmm. they're not looking like good clients and you learn this as you go through dealing with different layers of clients out there, but good clients Price is a very low determining factor in what they're buying from you. Yeah. Um, most people, like there's the, the scrappy clients out there that price is their number one thing that they're yeah. looking for. They're the clients you don't want. Yeah. The, the good buyers and the good businesses out there, like price is the last, often the last thing they care about. When I'm buying nowadays, like prices, I I couldn't care less what the price is to, to a degree or you've got to care a little bit, but like yeah. it's probably- Five percent of my buying decision um, compared to compared to all the other things out there, and and that's yep. what you got to realize is that your your good clients are not really caring that much about the price, or at least to the level that you think they are. They're yeah. caring about making sure that you're there to support them so they can sleep at night and so that yep. they can be efficient, they can innovate and do whatever they've got to do in their business, and they yep. that's what they're paying for. They're paying for peace of mind and all of those things. They're not they're not caring about the price anywhere near the level you think they are. It took me way too long. It took me years to figure out what you just said. Took me way Same. too long. Like I'm there. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't born with that knowledge. It took me yeah, probably a decade to learn that wiz- one the hard way. Yeah. So I definitely learned the hard way. I mean, now I just I'm you know because of seven years of being in here, it's you know something really struck me recently. We had a client. They pay us like three grand a month, and I was like hesitant to give them this like big server quote because you know, they're kind of not they're not a huge client. And then they we hooked up a uh, $4 million 3D printer uh, in their warehouse. And I was like, oh my, what am I thinking? What am I thinking? This $100,000 piece of equipment is nothing. And it runs their whole operation versus yeah. this is one machine doing one thing. You know, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. Pretty, it was pretty badass. It was like a metal, like it 3D prints metal. It's the craziest thing. It's like the size of a house. But, yeah. you know, I'm like, they just spent millions on that. Like, why am yeah. I worried about this, this? Yeah, yeah. This core piece that's really not priced that crazy. So, and it's it all comes down to our price, our own personal pricing beliefs, right? We often yes. project our own personal pricing beliefs yes. onto our clients unfairly, and yep. that's that's a, a danger that all of us have in in our business. In my MSP, I had a client kick me up the butt. Luckily, about that, a client that um, is still a dear friend to this day. 
Um, when I came in, we were around that same price point on one of her agreements. She had a bunch of them, but one was around because she had tons of companies, but one was around two, two and a half grand or something. Mm. Um, and I wanted to increase it by like 250 bucks and I was hesitant around it and whatever. And, and she was a little <laughs> bit of a mentor to me as well. And she goes, Nigel, like just one of my car payments each month is more than this agreement. Like <laughs> you're, you're thinking too small. I'm, I want you and I want to know that your team are around and everything to, to look after this stuff. I don't care about this, this, these minor things that you're worrying about, yeah. get the price right, bill me for it and move on to, to looking after me properly. And yeah. kick me the butt. And that, that sat with me or that, that was one of the biggest impetuses for me. And I was so grateful that I got that kick up the butt in the early years of having my, my MSP. Yeah. And it made me realize that, I was projecting my pricing beliefs that yep. I got I got brought up in a family where where we used to go to the local garbage dump and and spend our Saturdays scrounging for toys because it was so awesome because our family didn't have a lot of money at all. Yeah. And dad it was so much fun to jump in dad's van and we'd take a few little bags up to the tip, but we'd fill <laughs> our car up with stuff that we found there and we'd come back home and it would be like like Christmas when we come back from the tip. Um, it actually sounds kind of fun, but yeah, I, see, I get the point dump. for sure. Yeah, so, but that, that was where my money beliefs had come from. And so yeah. I was projecting all those beliefs on my clients, yeah. making bad decisions on their behalf. And until yeah. I realized that I was making bad decisions on their behalf, that's when the whole thing clicked in my head and I went, oh, crap, I need to be putting myself in their shoes and making decisions that are good for them, not good for what I think is good for them. And, yeah. um, and it changed that whole psychology then and made it so much easier to, to bill appropriately and bill properly and, and price um, far more than what I ever ever thought I could price in the early stages. Yep, it's like if you're not feeling, if you're not a little uncomfortable with it, then it's probably wrong. Correct. Yeah, you yeah. Know, like I remember, I think <laughs> exactly. you said that, and I, you know, yep. I love that. It's like it's so true. It's like get, you keep going. Like your the amount of value we provide as MSPs and MSSPs, and it's it's insane. It's insane the amount yeah, of yeah. value because at you know when your network goes down, you have a team that knows your network, it's documented, we're on site, we're fixing it, you're able to work again, like that one response is worth so much. So man, that was a really good, really good conversation on the pricing side. Like I, I, I really hope listeners got a lot out of that. I know I personally did like that. That was that was really, really solid. I'll expect the check in the mail for all the um the price increase commissions that are, are going to yeah. <laughs> I want 20% of every increase, please. Yeah. Well, talking about how, you know, talking about pricing, you know, you, you know, you know what you're worth. So I'll, I'll send it to you here in a minute. And, uh, <laughs> that's, um, that's that chapter value-based pricing that I've got in my yep. book um, that talks about that. There you go. That's my value-based pricing. I've just added a bunch of value to all your businesses. Go and yep. um, send the checks my way so I can buy more surfboards. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody listening needs to read this book. And the beauty of it is I finished the whole thing in 90 minutes. And I like literally like out loud was like, thank you. Like, I'm so glad because it's so hard to finish a book nowadays. So like Nigel's put so much goodness into 90 minute reading, you know, maybe a little more. I think it took me a little bit longer, but it's because I'm a slow reader. Um, and it's just like action packed. It's not, it's like the no fluff package price profit. Um, so anyways, definitely get that book. Uh, if you're an MSB camp member, I actually have a bunch. I'll send you one for free. Uh, thank you, Nigel. <laughs> I appreciate no, it. no worries. Um, to get that book that short was the hardest part of all, because for me, you can tell I get verbose about these things. And the book started off as I started writing stuff out, probably twice that length. And oh, my gosh. biggest thing was I wanted people to finish the book. And I've read, I've started hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. And I've I've not finished many. And so I know what it takes to finish one. And I really wanted people to finish it. And so to try and get it down to that point where it's finishable, 
yeah. um, was bloody tough. I think there's a, an old, I don't know if it was one of the, the American presidents or something that said um, um, something along the line, and I'm going to butcher the crap out of this, but they said something along the lines of um, give me, ask me to write a, um, like a, an hour long speech and I'll do it in an hour or whatever, or yeah. do it in two hours. Ask me to write a 10 minute speech and it'll take me 10 mm-hmm. hours. Yep. Kind of thing. Um, it, just because, and it's the same when happened with the book is I got the book written and then I'm just like, oh crap, this is way too long. Like how do I make it shorter? So spot um, on. I remember the biggest difference. Hard. I remember the biggest difference between undergrad and graduate school is undergrad. They say, okay, you have a, you know, four, four page, five page minimum. You have to write at least right. as much yeah. in graduate school. They know the kid, you know, the people that are coming into it, it's the flip. They're like no more than three pages, <laughs> right? you know, it's like, they, cause there's like, oh gosh, these guys, they're going, they want to write all day. It's like, no, no, no. I'm a busy professor three day, you know, three pages yeah, right. or less. And it was so well, now, much more difficult. Yeah, it was, it, it, not, it was back then. And now we've got buddy chat GPT. And oh, yeah, been- so was, I could have thrown my PDF in and said, make this. 40% shorter and I would have yeah. popped out in 10. It took me, I'm going to say probably a month or two to shorten the thing down from once I got the initial thing out. That's actually um, a solid prompt. Put it in, yeah. make it 40% shorter. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Would, it. it would keep, nail it. Keep my my style of writing, make it 40% shorter, but don't get yeah. rid of any of the important main points in there. Yeah, um, spot on. Anyway. All right. So, um, gosh, I have a few other questions. So I don't want to take too it. much. How long do these episodes here? normally go for? About 45 minutes. Oh, good. We can like get going. So I think we're I think we're doing okay. Yeah. Um so what what pricing structure do you believe is the most effective? Is it the tiers, which we, Ooh. you know, full disclosure, we do tiers. Partial fixed fee, full fixed fee, and premium fixed fee. The names are right. relevant, you know, they're actually yeah. kind of lame, but everybody's already knows them that way. So I've just kept it. And what's funny is for years we had partial fixed fee and full fixed fee, just the two. Right. Right. And I, I should have just read your book earlier. I should have done some type of minor research, but I was like, you know, I like an epiphany one day. I was like, if I add another one, like the middle one's going to look more enticing. Mm. And so I just did it. Right. And, and it worked like a charm. Right. You know, and, and it's funny because now there's, I see all the time people met recommending that. And it's like, yeah, it's so obvious. And there's like psychological effects on it. And there is, yeah. and you talked about the yeah. options, you know, you want to have more options, but not too many options. And, and all that. Um, so that's worked great for us is the service tiers. Right. And then there's other people that do the one price approach, yep. a lot more of yep. that as of late. So which one, 100%. you know, what, you know, which one did you, do you find to be, you know, the most effective or more effective? You know, I'm sure the maturity the, model. The answer is a hundred percent that it, it depends. It yes. depends on you, your clients, your, your operational maturity, your sales maturity, your marketplace, like tons of different things. Yeah. And, um, and so there's, there's, some people out there that are saying you have to have one plan. And then there's others out there saying you have to have good, better, best. The answer, there, there is no right or wrong answer in there because yeah. there is there is wildly successful MSPs out there, wildly profitable with good, better, best. There's mm. wildly successful MSPs out there, wildly profitable with single plan and yeah. everywhere in between. There's there's wildly profitable break fix um, IT companies out there that are, are still exist. Like there is no right or wrong answer. It comes yeah. down to to where you are on your operational maturity level and what's working for you and your clients in there. Yeah. Um, each side has pros and cons, and so I talk about pros and cons in in, in my book a little bit more in depth. Um, and what 
what um, typically happens, again, not hard and fast rule, but what typically happens is a lot of people will start with a good, better, best strategy. So they've got a baseline plan because um, that just gets people in the door and doesn't require great sales skills to go and sell. And then people can can move up to other plans as they get more comfortable working with you and whatnot. And that can often be a good strategy when you're getting started, especially mm-hmm. if your sales skills aren't great. Mm-hmm. Um which is happens to all of us when you're getting started. Like no one's born with good sales schools. It's not a bad yep. thing. It just is what it is. Um, yep. And then what happens is as you grow and as you mature, your sales skills and your knowledge of of a good tech stack and um, and an offering and your gross margins, you can mature to the point where you've just got a single offering then and a single offering makes sense and you can sell it easily. It's packaged easily. You know your margins on it very well. So you know exactly what to price it at all the time. Yep. Um and so, so there is no hard and fast answer. Anybody that tells you that there is, is is not taking your personal situation into account properly and doing you a disservice. Yep. And you really need to, sure, listen to what they say, but make sure that you're putting your own lenses or colored, your own glasses on to look at your situation when you're making that decision. Yep. And um, and as I said, there's there's pros and cons to each side. There is, you can make a pro. Wildly profitable. I was going to turn those words around and proudly waffable. <laughs> wildly profitable MSP out of both methods out there, and yeah. um, and 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 that's perfectly okay. Uh, the I think ultimately a lot of people though will mature to the single plan is yeah. is where you will get to. Um, if you're if you've got some experience in pricing and you know your margins and you're good at sales, you may start with just a single plan and say, hey, we've got everything in this. I know that I can close the certain number of clients on this. I know that I've priced it properly and everything. You might be able to do that from day dot, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you if not, you need to, you, you, you're going to struggle to sell a, a high-end premium plan um, in day dot, then have a smaller plan in there and a, maybe a medium plan that, that anchors people between the two and three. And, and you touched on that point of pricing psychology. There's a great book called Monetizing Innovation that um, a friend of mine, Jamie Warner, who founded Envirosoft uh, in our yeah. company, uh, put me on to. I've seen them around. Yeah. He, um, yeah. So he he put me onto that book and that book dives fairly deep into that whole psychology of the good, better, best mentality and, and how it works and what it does and and how to anchor different price points between things to help people buy. And what often happens you'll, you'll find in, in different marketplaces is that um, if if you're not great at, I shouldn't say not great, but if you're not at a certain level of maturity in your sales and you go out and you pitch just a single plan out there and you haven't done the good groundwork of getting people ready for just that single plan, then the person has no frame of reference for all for, for whether that is a good offer or not because you've, you've you haven't done you're not matured enough in your sales by, um, process to do all the the positioning around framing and, and price anchoring and everything in there and you've just then thrown them one price and mm. so they're going to then want comp- comparative things and so they're going to go and look at competitors for comparative stuff out there whereas mm. if you come in those early stages and you, you're not um, you haven't figured out how to pre-frame and, and do all of that stuff yet, and you position three plans in front of them, then they've got choice. And they feel like they're ready to, like they're, they're a buyer then. They're not being sold to. And they're going, mm. all right, so, so is choice one, two, or three good for me? Not is MSP one, two, or three good for me? Mm. And yep. they're, they're, they're actually buying, the, the, the whole buying process stays with you rather than getting other MSPs in the mix. Yeah. Again, that's that's dependent on situation, yeah. whatever, but that, yeah. that situation does happen a lot where hmm. um, that single price forces the MSP to go out and get something competitive so they can get some sort of comparison of other prices. Whereas yeah. all they're looking for is a comparison of things. If they've then got three comparisons for you, a good, better, best in there, that can often scratch that itch enough to to avoid them going out to, to a competitive um, MSP to go and get something to compare with. Yeah. That's, that's super spot on. I mean, good, better, best has worked so well for us. And like, 
I see people on forums all the time bashing it. They're like, nah, only one. I'm like, even if I move to an only one, I'm going to have two because not everybody's going to need onsite support. Why would I factor that in? You know, I have so many clients that are remote only all across the world. So they're going to be paying the same thing. You know, it's like, and I know obviously the numbers will change. You might, you might factor, you know, there might be a, you know, you know, maybe you factor, factor that in. So just the number goes down. So, but either way, it's not necessarily one, one, uh, one user, but I guess, yeah, I guess the user number changes quote to quote, depending on a lot of factors. So I'm being silly. Okay. (laughs) And you can change that. that. Um, you can also change that. Like you can have pricing breaks as well. Like zero to yeah. 25 users is this and 25 right. to 50 is that. that or whatever. Um, yeah. There was another point I was going to touch on there. Um, ah, it's gone. If it comes Sorry, back. Sorry. Yeah, my... went, went in this year, flew straight out that year. Um, yeah, I, I... Um, oh, and it was a good point too. It was a, that was the best point of the entire podcast. I'm going to sit um, in silence until you think of it. <laughs> There's going to be an awkward podcast silence now. Um, now, if it comes back, I'll let you know. Otherwise, right. we'll just record another podcast episode on it. Oh, perfect. I'll get you on. I mean, there's so many topics we could cover. Like, literally, like, there's so many topics that I want to talk to you about. This is just the one where I'm, oh, you got it. I, I figured it out. Right. Um, it was that whole thing of, and I just wanted to touch on the topic, but it is probably an entire topic for an, another thing. And I, I touch on it in the book, but it's that um, you mentioned it when you spoke about the differences between your plans being um, just a little part of the delivery in that um, one is remote, one's on site. And that's what splits the difference. Um, whereas, and I think that's a great way to do it. It's how we used to have our good, better, best plan structured in my MSP is that we had remote only, remote with a scheduled site visit, and then mm. remote with unlimited site visits in there. They were our three plans. And the scheduled site visit was weekly, um, monthly, or quarterly based on the client. So, so some clients had only a quarterly site visit because they were like a five, 10 user company and didn't need much. Other users had a weekly site visit because they were larger companies and needed someone out there every single week. And that was our middle plan. Our lower plan was just remote only and everything on site was um, on a prepaid, drew down on a prepaid separated agreement that was a prepaid block hours style agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the unlimited was the, the top end. But one thing, and the reason I mentioned that is, is that one thing that I do see MSPs do, and I, I, I have never seen it done successfully and I've always seen it cause damage is that they go, oh, well, I'm going to create these wildly different good, better, best plans where um, it's not breaking the breaking it down like on that, where it's just a little bit of service delivery. They break it down on everything else as well. And they go, well, hey, on this plan, you're only going to have backup retention for this amount of time and you're only going to have um, guaranteed response times of this and you're going to have all of that. And then on the middle plan, your guaranteed response time is up a little bit, is a bit faster and your backup retention is a bit longer and and whatever it happens to be. And to me, especially in an early stage MSP, that is all way too complex. Like literally yeah. just come up with your whole baseline that covers everything. Like yeah. backup retention is the same for every single client. SLA is the same for every single client. Yeah. Like all of those things are the same and just, just have those differentiating things on top, like your, your site visits or whatever yeah. it happens to be. AV is the same for every client. Security is the same for every client. Um, and, and just have your baseline security in in all of your, your plans in there. You might have then cybersecurity plus or something that's something that that your higher level people can, can tack on the top. But um, yeah. but just be careful not to differentiate your plans on stuff that doesn't really need to be differentiated. Like you can yeah. like most most nimble MSPs should just operate with one. If you're gonna have an SLA, just have one SLA. Yeah. Don't have an SLA per plan in there. It's just wildly complicated. No way to sure, track it, right? The, yeah. the hard PS like the the big PSAs can track yeah. it. Yeah. And yeah. I originally went down that route and went, oh well, gold gets two hours response and silver get and. Holy crap. Like sure, yeah. we our systems could manage it, but it was so complicated. And I just went, yep. screw it. 
this is our SLA. Yep. When you join us on a plan, you get that SLA and we're going to differentiate our plans based on some other things on top. And it just made things so much easier in those yeah. early stages when we're a small, nimble MSP. Well, that was a great point. So I'm glad you rethought of there it. There you go. <laughs> it, was, it was a point I make somewhere in the book. Um, I've got to yeah, go. And, I was saying to you off air, I've got to go and read that book again because I wrote it, I think it was four or three and a half years ago or something now, and I haven't read it since then. Um, I, I pulled it open recently and opened up to a page and started reading going, oh, this is pretty good. <laughs> like well, I don't well, remember yeah, writing that at all. Yeah. <laughs> What's good crazy idea. to me is on Amazon, it's 4.7 out of five. And yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. Who would read it and be like, nah, it's a four. It's like, it literally tells we got you some, all of the things. We got a one. You know why? Because we got some, we got a one star from this lady who purchased it. And like it, it says, the essential guide to packaging and pricing your MSP plans. She Her review started off with saying, I don't know what an MSP is, oh. but, I, but I read this book. It was something like that. Like, but I read this book and there was literally only one page that applied to me. And she gave it a one star oh review. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That is so, so that, that brings the average down a little bit, but there's 200. I was like, I was looking at this. I'm like, I, yeah. Like, I'm like, how could it be 4.7? Like the podcast, our podcast right now is 4.8. And I'm yep. like, I feel like we don't like sell. We don't do like, we're providing as much value as we can. Somebody's like, nah, one star. I'm like, who are you? Who are Normally you? Normally what there? it is though, is um, there's just, there's a lot of people out there just for whatever reason, ego or whatever the heck it happens to be, can't give a hundred percent. Right? Yeah. So, so I learned that over the years and I've seen that pop up in my own thinking sometimes when I've been giving surveys of, um, oh, there's just like, only I'm perfect. Like, let me give this one a, a, a nine out of 10 for whatever reason. And it's, it's a horrible thing, but there is that cohort of people that, um, I'm sure none of your listeners are like that. No, it's um, funny. You said that I asked one guy me. for review. Yeah. I asked one guy for views like, yeah, well, it's you know, he's like, well, some some people just give five stars or something like something where he alluded to where he wasn't going to give a five star. He's going to give right. a four star. Yeah. And I literally was like, hey, man, don't leave me a review then. <laughs> like, yeah. I specifically ask for five star reviews because I'm like, I, I'm yeah, sorry, right. four point a four is actually going to bring me down. We only have 35 like reviews. Yeah, you know, right. Four actually hurts more than it helps. So yeah, anyway, it, I think um the four star like. They're also the opportunity, right? Like people that are sitting at fours are the ones that they've got a reason in their head. And this goes, this, this, like if we bring it to the MSP space, like four yeah. out of five feedback on a, a support ticket, right? Yeah. Um, that's, they're the ones that you can get an incredible amount of, like they're an opportunity to get an incredible amount of, of insight into why they only gave you a four out of five. And if yeah. you're, if you've got some sort of process in your CSAT, like your customer service, um, monitoring of your, your tickets in an MSB and trying to understand why people gave you a four, that can, the, often it's only small, tiny little things that you can implement in your business that can yep. turn that person into giving you fives every single time. And so I look at the fours and the threes as typically um, gold mines of yep. opportunity. Yep. Often the ones, um, ones sometimes are gold mines of opportunity, but ones often is more about them and not you. Um, yep. there's, there's going to be the, some ones where you absolutely deserved it hundred percent because you delivered a horrible service and whatever it was. And that happens in every single business. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's perfectly okay. But I've found that a lot, like a, a, probably a larger cohort of, of than that type in the ones is actually because they've just having a bad day and because something broke in their IT that was probably their fault, often their fault. And they just need someone to blame and giving someone a bad feedback of a one just makes them feel a little bit better. And it's yep. not about the service that you delivered. It's about the state that they're in at that particular point in time. Yep. And, um, and you've got to be okay with that. Like you're getting a five out of five 
sustainably long-term in anything is nigh on impossible um, yeah. out there. No, no company can, the, the, the Zappos can't, and the, their whole thing was focused on that. Um, but 4.8, like yeah. at the numbers that you're at, like you can't complain about that in any way, shape or form. Yeah. It's bloody awesome. And it's, it's full yeah, credit no, to, no. to what you're doing with this. And <laughs> For sure. For sure. Yeah. And like one, you know, one, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the best things to, that improved us as a company over the last, I guess it's been almost five years now, is a large client that was a pain in the butt. You yeah, know, all right. the EOS stuff we do, all the books we read, all the leadership meetings, mm -hmm. really one of the greatest things that has improved us as company is this large client that has been a total pain. Right. But every time they've been a pain, we're like, well, yeah. You, you know, something. like there's some, especially as yeah. account manager, because, you know, immediately not to talk negatively on the help desk and the service side, because they're amazing, but immediately the service side takes this, this service side, all you know all tech hat and like well that's because da, 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 da. yeah yeah yeah. and then the client's like well da, 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 da. you know like they all have they have their completely different perspectives and as and the account switzerland manager in the what's middle. that you're switzerland in the middle yeah yeah i'm switzerland in the middle and i have to i have to take i i mean i've done so much work on this unfortunately where it's like okay i hear what you said here this is good and i have to take their feedback and then i come to the table and i say no no objectively we did kind of drop the ball here and this is how we need to fix this. If we want to yeah. keep this client, yeah. those, those, even though it was painful, it has made us a better customer where we don't really hear from much anymore. hundred percent. Those, so those it's like you're, often the, the, oh, sorry, you go. No, no, exactly. It was just, I was just yeah. like, those clients, those, those threes, right. The three yeah, feedbacks, correct. they yeah. are what have improved us as companies as long as you're willing to listen and adapt and improve. Yeah. hundred percent. It's even happened to us in our, in our tech tribe communities that the, the people that come in and challenge us that we often well, like we got we got nine thousand humans inside our tech tribe community now, awesome. and and they're all smart, brilliant, technical minds, um, ego as well. We've all got ego, right? And you throw them all into one community, and and um and stuff's going to happen, and it does. Yeah. Um, and we've got some some people that that challenge us on things, and we go, oh crap, like we don't want to deal with this. And then you look at the objectively, and you go, hang on. This is forcing us to improve this area and improve that area. And holy crap, this is awesome because whilst it's tough to deal with and tough to receive bad feedback, it's it's absolute gold mines of opportunity yep. to help us grow to the next level and the next level and the next level inside yep. our community in terms of getting community management, um, sorry, community guidelines in place and moderation, dealing with moderation differently and whatever. And so so as much as it's hard all the time to to deal with the bad clients, they are your gold mines out there yep. most yep. of the time. There's always the the ones that aren't, that they're yep. always going to complain about everything and anything just because it's the world they live in. And sometimes you can win them over, but there comes a time when you go, oh, like the, the juice is not worth the squeeze on this one. Yep. Um, yep. They're not giving us like, the feedback they're giving us is completely wildly irrational. Yeah. Um, time to move them on. And we had some of them. We had one client that was they, they were giving us two and a half grand a month or something. So they were a, an okay sized client. Mm -hmm. But um, but every single interaction with them was painful. And yeah, nope. um, they weren't giving us great feedback because it was all their problems on there. And no matter how many times we'd sit with them and explain to them, and they'd understand it, they go, "Oh yeah, like I can see it now." And then next week they're back to the same behavior, and we yeah. got to the point where my team didn't want to pick up the calls from them anymore. And you, you, your heart rate would raise when you see their phone number pop yep. up on the the, the dial in. And I went, all right, time to make the tough call. And I had to make the tough call to, yep. and that was in my early stages where two and a half grand a month was a, a, a nice yep. chunk of change. And um, to make the call yep. to move them on. That's the other thing for listeners. Don't be afraid to raise your prices. Don't be afraid to fire a client. Every oh, time we've had to yeah. fire a client, our life improved every time. Yeah, and one 100%. of them was a big one. It was yeah, a right. big one. And it was like, they're killing us. We fired them, started growing faster. 
right? Because yeah. we got time to grow faster. And energy, more importantly, your yes, energy. Like the amount of point. energy that gets sucked. Um, time sucks, losing time, but losing your energy because your your mind is focused on this negative scenario over here is wildly detrimental to your business. Your business needs yep. your energy in a positive state and your, yep. you, you to be in a positive state in to move it in forward momentum all the time. And one niggling little ne negative thing like that can take so much of your positive momentum away. 100%. I just did an episode on, you know, um, MSP mindset or gosh, what is it? Like, <laughs> oh, mental health. And like mental health for MSPs. And it's like, yep. yeah, we learn over that. It's like, look, don't worry. Like the client stuff, if you let it like get you, get you, get you, your whole, everything's going to go down. Your business is going to go down. Your yeah. mental health is going to go down. Like every other client I'll, suffers. Yeah. So that's why I had to give a plug for jujitsu on that episode. But uh, anyway, <laughs> all right. Uh, this is great. Are you, are we good with maybe one more question? Go for it. All right. Shoot. Cool. Cool. So this being the no fluff MSP marketing podcast, I've watched your marketing uh, foundations course on tech tribe. Phenomenal. It's fantastic. Um, so I figured I'd, I'd throw a marketing question in here. If an MSP could only do three marketing tactics three in their strategy, just three, what would you recommend they be? What size MSP? That's a great question. Let's say five employees, 900K in revenue, typical 15%, you know, net, um, I guess. Typical. One of the, so the, there's a ton. Like for me, if I was in that state, say I was at that 900 thing, um, I would be 100% making sure that I had a, a Google ad strategy in place for my local mm. market or whatever market I'm serving. Google ads, tough to figure out initially. Um, and you've got to figure out all these things like negative keywords and whatever, but I would hundred percent have a Google ad strategy in place for people that are searching for, that are in current pain, trying to switch IT providers because they're, mm -hmm. they're the ones with intent. They're the ones that are ready to, to purchase right now because they've, they've got a pain point. Yeah. Um, and I'd hundred percent make sure I've got that in place with a proper retargeting, like the, the ads retargeting and everything and, and making sure that I've dealt with negative keywords and I'm, I'm spending enough in the area to, to get well, some that's, leads. That's three things right there. No, I'm just joking. I'm oh, just joking. Keep going. That's, <laughs> that's one for me. Maybe I'm over, over committing. You're like retargeting um, it. No, just joking. All right. Correct. Perfect. Number two, um, if I'm that size, even when I was that size, I was doing a lot of um, networking. So nice. I, I would use meetup.com and okay. I would just go and find whatever meetups are happening in my area any night of the week. And this was pre-kids, so I could go out every night of the yeah. week. And I just go to all these meetups, um, lots of business ones or whatever it happened to be, just meeting people and building a relationship and getting clients from them. Um, yep. Actually, I'm gonna, I might, I didn't get as many. Yeah, sorry, I'm gonna pull that one out of the mix um, okay. and put another one in. The that other one that worked well for listeners. Yeah, but go ahead. it is. That worked. It worked for me. Oh, but this great. one worked better for me at that size. Okay. And that was um, looking across my current client base and looking at all the line of business vendors that were there, and um, and all the ones that we enjoyed working with, and going and building relationships with those line yep. of business vendors. Yep. And so I would yep. often like a, a case in point was we had a hospitality client that had this POS vendor. Um, that my team dealt with all the time. And so um, I went and took that pause vendor out to lunch one day and said, Hey, I'd love to figure out how we can do more work with you guys, but our team love working with you. You guys seem to love working with us. The client loves us both. Um, within a week or two, that guy had referred me into another hundred grand deal for us. Nice. Um, and that, that uh, it was the sales rep of that pause client that I'd taken out for lunch, but he had 
all the same client base that we wanted in there, right? Yeah. Like hotels and high-end large chains of restaurant groups. And so, so he ended up becoming a de facto client for us because he'd go into these, these, these clients and where he'd be, his team would be putting in a pause system and they'd be dealing with the current IT company and they'd be going, oh man, your current IT company's crap. You need to go and speak to Nigel because we deal yeah. with him over at X client who was a famous client, yeah. uh, a famous restaurant chain in Australia. And we just, I ended up getting three or four clients closed out of that deal nice. um, just by building a couple, like having a couple of relation, uh, building lunches, uh, sorry, building a relationship with that, that guy over lunch. And that was a yeah. very easy lift. There was yep. hardly any time input or money input that went into that one. So I'd be looking at any line of business vendor and figuring out building relationships because they've got groups of clients that you want as clients. So it's like yep. that one-to-many-to-many -to -many sales process, not just one-to-many sales process. So and that on. one worked well for me. Um, so, and did you did you pay the, the salesperson to give him a spare? As commission. Yeah. Did you give any commissions? Some I did, some I didn't. So I had a number okay. of those deals. Um, that was just one example that I used. That one I didn't. He just okay. knew that, that when he worked with us, things worked better for him in front of his clients, Love right? It. Because our team liked working with them. And so that was enough for him to refer stuff to us. Yeah, we I, had a couple of I'm telcos and, um, and SharePoint experts that would go in and do like a SharePoint job or sell telco or data lines or whatever to clients. And we'd then give them a 10% trial. Like they, they'd refer them the clients to us all the time. And we give them a 10% trial on any um, service revenue over the first 12 months. Cool. Um, and we yeah. had sometimes thousands of dollars a month going out for, for those referrals as well. But we wouldn't have got them without that. That's why I love, I got no them, problem paying commission because it's Not like, I wouldn't have got this, you know, and my, margin, my gross than, margin is still healthy because I, you know, and all that. So. My, my cost of acquisition on those customers was still wildly cheap compared to yes. the, the lifetime value of margin that we got out of them. Yeah. Um, and the last one that I would put into the mix there, depending on your budget, but direct mail works and it yeah. works very well if you're consistent at it. And um, and the problem that like people see, um, there's a few great direct mail um, companies in our, in our industry. There's a very famous one. I won't mention names on here. Um, she's yeah. well, very well known. Just the fact that I said she, most people will know. Yeah. She's, she's, um, she's got a very specific way of doing things, but her stuff absolutely works and it works very, very, very well. Mm. Um, and direct just because direct mail works. Direct mail yeah. is like compared to cold email showing up in someone's inbox with five thousand other things. Like direct yep. mail done well, um, and it doesn't have to be the old school sales letters with yellow highlighted stuff on them and red headings and stuff that you probably yeah. would have seen. But direct mail in terms of some some really, I've got some awesome stuff on the ground, but we're on a podcast, so I can't show you. Um, but some really awesome stuff there works really well consistently, and you can put in. Um, a couple of grand into some direct mail and typically out of a couple of grand in most marketplaces, you'll, you'll get a client um, with your first couple of grand. As long as you've got a, a good list that you work on to go and send this stuff out to, like a good scrub list that you're sending it out to, and you've got some good direct mail pieces, which we've got some in the tech tribe. There's there's some, like I just mentioned, that um, in other places around. Um, but direct mail 100% works. It, yeah. it works fairly well for MSPs. It's one of the ones that if I had an MSP today, it it would be in my top three um, in there. That um, I would be still going out to events at nighttime more than likely uh, just because it was that, that meetup.com thing, but the Google ads and then the just building relationship with, with other vendors that have yeah. clients of the type that I want. Out yeah, there. exactly. And, and either incentivizing them or with money or just 
Um, most people do referrals not for money. Most people do referrals because it's going to make them look better in some way, shape, or form because they've introduced someone to someone that's an awesome help to them. And that's yep. if you can figure out on that. And yep. and I used to, I still do. Look, we spend tens of thousands of dollars every year in the tech tribe on gifts for people just to nice. show appreciation for different things. Yep. And if you're doing that to vendors or LOB apps or whatever it happens to be, you can really deeply build these relationships and start to be on their radar that that you are. They, they become your sales team out there on yeah. the road talking about you like crazy. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was a long winded. And then three the direct things. mail. That was such a great response though. I mean, that's so spot on, especially we, we've been moving more into direct mail. We do a lot of, you know, we, I really try with pro partners. I need to do a better job. We never really did Google pay-per-click. We do remarketing through Google. Hmm. Uh, but you know, like you mentioned, pay-per-click is so high intent. It's just always been me. Correct. I'm like, God, do I really yeah. want to play with five grand a month when I, already I'm kind of getting leads from these other things, but it's something, you know, someone in our peer group is starting now. So I'm interested right. in kind of helping them with it. So I'm interested to see how it goes. At a but, minimum, um, get a retargeting add up that that'll oh, cost yeah, you 20 minimum. bucks a month. Um, oh. at, if that in an MSP, get a I retargeting see, strategy up and I see you every single day when I get on Dude, Facebook or Instagram, every that, single that costs day. Us, like, like we get it's like hundreds of thousands of impressions on our retargeting ads in the tech yeah. tribe. And it costs us less than 50 bucks a month. Yeah. For, it's so inexpensive. Just retargeting. It's, targeted. it's super targeted. And the yeah, other yeah. thing is we put a ton of ads up in our retargeting. So it's not like, yeah, right. oh, you put this no one ad fatigue. up. Like, it's funny. There's this marketing company that's been remarketing, retargeting to me for like six months. And he's been using the same ad. I'm like, dude. Is that me? <laughs> no, no, it's not you. Yours, you guys have, y'all have multiple different variations. Right. Uh, even if it's the same video, it's like there's a 30 second oh, version, 15, one. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. one minute or yeah. whatever. This yeah. guy's a marketing company saying he's using the same exact ad for six months. I'm like, bro. That's not how you do it. I'm like, you got to yeah, yeah. have lots of different ads. You got to keep it fresh, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. Yeah, on the retargeting, direct- wildly profitable, very cheap to set up and running. And um, and it's as you say, if you're getting people with buyer's intent coming through and they get interrupted after they've looked at your website, but then you show up on another website two days later, like you, you're just, you're, you're popping up in their mind again and yep. again. And and just the buying journey in the MSP space is is not a, a single touch buying journey. It is no. multiple touches from multiple different angles. And the more yep. you could be omnipresent in these channels, um, whether it's via direct mail and like, I love a direct mail hybrid thing. So that's what I love about direct mail is if you're sending them to your website to opt in for to something as part of each direct mail campaign mm-hmm. piece, um, then you're also re- throwing pixels to retarget them as well. Yep. So then your, your stuff is, exactly. is showing up all around the place. Some yep. people don't agree with that, but that's how the ad, that's how ads work in the world. Yep. Like um, it's how YouTube works. It's how Google works. It's how all of these companies work. And um, and everybody's got the ability to turn it off if they don't like it. Like you can block yep. cookies, block pixels um, very easily. But that is what it is, and it works quite well. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, end about- brand. No, I mean, it's so true though. And that's great. And then not, not to plug MSP camp too hard here, but we did actually just send out, um, the, the gift card one I showed you the other day. It's actually pretty sweet, but I'm, I'm trying to get even more creative, but we just sent it out to, um, to like only like 400, uh, prospects. And we got like a, we got a really, we actually didn't get any clients yet, but we got a solid lead. That'd be like 30 K a month. And I've been working to the last few months. And I'm like, man, if we get this off of a $2 direct mail piece, like I'm going to be forever. Exactly right. That's what it comes down to. Like you, you often like you might put in a couple of grand, but you only need one client out of that to make you money back in three months. Cause most MSB clients are going to give you a couple of grand of gross margin within the first three months or four months or five months. Um, But I was going to, I'm trying to find you the the cool one that we did recently. 
Um, I think I know which uh, one you're talking about, and I love it. I'll show you a BDR one. Like this is this is an example of of um, direct mail, but done well. And this is one that we're about to upload into the Tech Tribe sometime shortly. We're going through a bit of imaging work on it at the moment. But this one here is. If you're watching the video of this particular thing, it's a newspaper. It's a broad form printed newspaper um, that that's, looks like it's from the 1950s or 1929, yeah. sorry, up the top. And you open it up and on the front, it's like business in panic as servers crash. Yeah. And then you, you you open it up in the inside and it's this this 1920s design of of all stuff around your BDR and your backups and, and whatnot. And um, very easy to read, single call to action to go and yeah. send people to the website to go and do something. But but those pieces they they take a little bit to put together. But as I said, like you can get stuff like this from the tech tribe or whatever. Um, but it. that's what we talk about. Like direct mail is not about printing a brochure of why you're good and sending it out to someone, right? Yeah. Like that's that's not going to get you results on direct sure. mail. And, and throwing up a little DL brochure that just says, "Hey, we do we're fast at at response times and we're competitive prices and stuff." Like yeah. you're going to get no clients from that. Or if 100%. you do, they're going to be the clients that you don't want. Yeah, like, go out there and be a little bit creative in your your direct mail pieces, and you can get some wildly great results out of it yep. as long as you're consistent. It's all consistency, yep. and um, and your you, your lifetime, your sorry, your acquisition cost starts going down as the more and more you do it, as you do, your yeah. lifetime value goes up in there, and um, and you're consistent, and it becomes wildly profitable for you. You're literally the one that got me looking more into these like premium direct mail things. Right. Like, you know, because I did put, we did, we've always done really cool postcards at MSP camp, but a postcard can only have so much impact. When Correct. you started yeah, showing yeah. me some of those, I was like, okay, we have to take this to the next <laughs> level. And like, we've really been trying to think even, even harder into some other good options. But I'm fine. the other one I wanted well, to show you was a, one of my favorites. It's the first, first class. class campaign. Yeah. I love um, that one. Okay, it's like a, an awesome printed, um, for, it looks like a, a plane ticket. It's printed on the yes. paper that a plane ticket gets printed on. And it's a first class thing. And um, we we license these campaigns from a, a Tech Tribe member um, so that we can give them all out to our members. Um, we're in the process. We've got some imaging dramas, licensing dramas with them at the moment that we're going through. But over time, we're going to get them all out. And this one cool. particularly is is um, you the the client or the prospect goes and receives this this first class letter and opens it up. And inside, you've got a proper boarding pass envelope that's printed with uh, everything. You open it up, and their name is written on a a boarding ticket that says first, like your ticket to first class IT support. Yeah. And, um, and their name is actually printed on the actual ticket itself. The oh, same cool. way, like the ticket even looks like it's from a, like the same paper and everything they use as a boarding pass. Um, your ticket to first class IT support call, like there's a call to action or whatever on it. But again, it's a something that stands out and it's creative yeah. and cool and unique. And you get it that is. on your desk and you're not going to forget about it and throw it in the bin like you are with a typical DL post. Like postcards can be good and don't get yeah. me wrong. They're a good nurturing thing in between. We do yeah, some postcards. For sure in the tribe, but these sort of things kind of stand out and you, it's something that you remember. And even if the, the prospect is not buying right now, yep. that's, that's something that they're going to go, Oh, let me set that aside on this pile over yep. here um, for maybe another day, because you've just piqued their attention. You've done something cool and creative and and you're there in their, their mind space now. And and yep. you keep it up and you, you, you may turn that client around or you, you will turn yep. some around to, to be ready to come and buy from you when and they're, they're probably going to visit your site. Now you hit them with yep. your pixel. They're seeing you on 100%. Facebook, Google, Instagram, you know, YouTube, you can remarket on LinkedIn now everywhere. You know, it's, it's so true. It's so multi-channel. Like when I, even when I get a client, when I look at like the last 10, I'm like, oh, where did they come from? And it's like, oh, like three things each. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's 100%. rarely like, oh, we just saw your website. It's like, well, actually, you know, I you know, and then I saw that you were friends with this person and then, oh, yeah, we got yeah. your thing. And, you know, there's always so many things now. Touch points, it's, touch points, yeah. touch points. It's, got it's amazing. Go for omnipresence and yeah. in marketing. If there's any lesson that I'm, anybody should ever take in marketing is the game is won via consistency and nothing else. It's yep. just consistency. Yep. You, you can be, 
Um, you can have the worst list in the world, but if you're consistent marketing to them, you're still going to have better results than someone that's not consistent to the best list in the world out there. Yep. Um, and so the, the key is just, obviously you want to have a good list because it's going to increase your chances. Yeah. But my point is more around the consistency side of things. You just got to get out there and continually do it. And I know it's hard when you're in an MSP and you've got 3000 hats on your plate and, and you're trying to juggle 25 different things. But the reality is if you don't do some marketing in your business in some way, shape or form, um, you are going to go back. You're not going to be able to build a sustainable business. Out yeah. there. And, and sure, it can start off with referrals being your, your main source of leads. But inevitably, in every business, the, the further you get where you lose a little bit of the relationship with your clients, the less referrals you're going to get in there. And you need yeah. to have these other marketing, intentional marketing um, strategies in place before you get to that point. Because if you then get to the point where referrals have dried up, and you haven't done any marketing where you've done those consistent touch points, then you're in a very dangerous spot. Yeah. And, and you just need to lose one client then. You know, you might, if you lose a key client or one of your, your whale clients, you're in a bad place. You might not be able to pay yourself or your staff at that point in time. But if you've yeah. continually been doing just, even if it's an hour a week, like one yeah. hour a week, spend a little bit of money in marketing over a consistent period of time, you're building this growth engine. And it's like a, it's like a steam train in it marketing. They start and they're this heavy, wild thing that you can't stand there and push the damn thing. You yep. just got to pile coal in and pile coal in and pile coal in. And eventually you hear, chook, and it yep. moves one centimeter. And then you hear, chook, chook, and it moves two centimeters. And that's what marketing is. You got to think of it as this steam train that you've got to just start piling coal in. The earlier you start piling it in, the faster you're going to get up to momentum in there. And, and yep. the more you're consistent with piling coal in, the more more speed you're going to gather in that thing. And it's um, it took me many years to realize that. It's like, I'd throw a little bit of money in marketing. I wouldn't get results immediately. And I go, oh, marketing doesn't work for me. Yep. And that was it. I would never yep. do it again. Um, I wouldn't do it again for another year. Yep. Um, and then until I learned that it's consistency is the number one key to marketing, it changed everything. And I just, I had to force myself to do it or else you, you, you hit those things where one loss of a client can be the make or break for your entire business. That's the story I tell all the time. It took a year when I was doing all the things. Like I really felt like I was killing it. Nothing. Yeah. And then like after uh, that year, the train was moving. Yeah. And even when I've stopped marketing, like really Still just put the brakes on things. It, it You can't stop it if you wanted to. Correct. Like the things exactly just right. click. The market knows you now. It's like yeah. it was. And we have like ever since it's been going up and I'm like, man, I wish I kind of would have stayed on the gas and never yes you know, had to like break three times so it left yeah. seven years. Oh, anyway. I did the same it is it is yeah. the hardest period to get through when you're learning marketing it is so rough and I yeah. I get everybody I feel I feel for everybody in that space because I was there you were there we know how hard it is yeah. um all you can do is take inspiration from us knowing that if you're consistent you will get out the other side where you start to see some results and yeah. um and push yourself through that valley of of whatever you want to call it um leverage other like tools like stuff we've got in the tribe or MSP camp stuff to go and leverage it so that you don't have to build all the stuff yourself and, yep. um, and just keep bloody consistent at it so that you, you go out and do it. Otherwise you, you as we said before, like tough times and tough yep. times. Suck. Yeah. So spot on, man, Nigel, you are the man. I appreciate you a lot. <laughs> Thanks, I mean, I like, I've been, following tech time probably i don't know three or four years now i'm like it's so funny i saw like your orientation video and i'm like who is nigel you know i, don't, I didn't have a speak. it's not like i was going through puberty three years ago but you know i just was like who is this guy you know i think you even had like who's short this, hair who's this idiot with the red hair and the Aussie <laughs> accent <laughs> and so it's just kind of cool now like 
you know, that you've come on my podcast. It's like, cool. The guy that I've been like looking up to, and you know, I've told lots of people on this podcast, like, please go to subscribe to tech drive. They're awesome. And how much value we get out of it. And just to have you on the podcast officially. And like, it just, it really means a lot. I really appreciate you a lot. I think this has been a super helpful conversation. Um, and I hope the listeners got a lot out of it. I'm sure they did. Um, and you already know I'm going to be annoying you about a part two in the, in the coming yeah. months. So yeah. I could talk about this stuff forever. Um, yeah. and, and full kudos to you. Like you've, what you've done with your podcast in the short amount of time that you've been running it shows that you've got what it takes a hundred percent to do something like this. Like it is, it is not easy to build a podcast for geeks out there and <laughs> keep it sustainable and, and, and get listeners and whatever. And, and you've done it because you've, you've got that, you, you've invested the time. I'm not going to say you've got it because I guarantee you, you weren't born with this knack for doing what you do. You've built and grown yourself into this person who's been able to have a knack for for doing things a little bit differently to everybody else and and coming up with a unique brand and you've invested the time and energy in it. So full credit to you for doing it. Um, you you put in the work and it's paying off and and I've got no doubt that it's going to pay off even more because what you're doing is wildly helpful. These like podcasts <laughs> like yours. Um, man, imagine, I, I couldn't even begin to imagine what my journey would have been like if I'd listened to podcasts like yours in my first eight years of being in the MSP space. I, I was flying blind, like completely blind. And, um, and you listen to an episode like this, maybe not this one, this one was pretty crap because you had an idiot guest no, but you listen to some it. of your other podcast episodes and, um, and like one unlock in any of them uh, can typically save you years of lessons that, that, that us who have been in the trenches for too long have learned many times. And that's what I love about these things is my goodness, you just need one unlock per episode that can save you days, weeks, months, years, decades, nearly in, in making bad decision or avoiding making bad decisions or whatever it happens to be. So um, yeah. you were doing an awesome service to the industry and um, you're doing a bloody good job of it. So well done. Man, my, I appreciate it, Nigel. My, that, that means a lot. My butter up back to you. <laughs> yeah, no, the, dude, I appreciate butter it. Butter up each other podcast. Dude, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> night, but night, it's true. Uh, I mean the whole thing. Maurice is going to have like love sounds playing in the yeah, background yeah. <laughs> as we talk to each other. We've got the video now. You can have little love hearts floating yeah. around on the screen. <laughs> but seriously, I'm, all, I'm always surprised that anyone even listens to it and the number keeps growing. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's kind of like scary. Yeah. But uh, no, dude, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Thanks. It's, thanks for no being worries. on. This has been super helpful. I love how long we were able to cover cover marketing. I know I always take, I know I took too much of your time, but it's, you know, I just really appreciate it. I thought it was really good. And, uh, and, and for the listeners out there, we don't have a challenge this week. Actually, we do have a challenge this week. So we're going to move to challenge of the week. Test your might. So you're saying we can't actually play the Mortal Kombat theme song? You don't have the budget. All right, Steven, it's up to you. Finish him. Challenge of the week. Excellent. All right. Challenge this week. Read, package, price, profit. And just do it. It's 90 minutes. I haven't finished a book in a while and I actually finished it. So read that book. Please read that book. Or listen. It's even on Audible now. Oh, it's on Audible? Uh, right. I didn't read it though, um, because I, I I realized how hard it is to read your own book. It would have taken me a long time to do it, so we outsourced the reading to someone else. But um, oh, but it's boo. up on Audible now if you want no, it there as well. All right, cool. Listen or read that <laughs> one book. day. I mind. Trust me, it'll be worth it. Um, so yeah. Also, check out the Tech Tech Tribe. I know a lot of listeners are already Tech Tribe members. If you're not, go check it out. I think they've got like a trial right now. Just go check it out. I think it's like Maybe. it's like fifty bucks a month or something. It's crazy inexpensive for how much value is on that on that website. So highly recommend checking it out. 
Um, we, and actually there's a partner page on our website and it links direct to tech drive and it like, oh, I guess there's awesome. like a, a coupon code or something. So yeah, if you're an MSB camp member, you can do that too. Yeah. Um, we're, we're about to increase the pricing. So there's my marketing scarcity coming in. Yes. The first price increase in five years, I think. So oh. if you don't join soon, you're going to be paying more in a couple of weeks. Join um, now, join now. From, from the recording of this urgency. podcast, at least. So we're, <laughs> yeah. we're taking eating our own dog food and increasing our pricing for the first time yes. in a long time. Nice. Well, perfect. So that's the challenge this week. Um, thank you all so much for listening again. I'm just so grateful to be able to do this. And, you know, the feedback we get, even if it's only 4.8, is just so amazing. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Thank you all seriously so much for listening. And we will see you on the next one. Thanks, Nigel. Thank you. Bye for now. Stop recording.